Welcome to the Cult of the Clock Tower. I am Andrew Nathanson. Every other week, a special guest and I have an in-depth discussion about a character from the game Blood of the Clock Tower. Today's characters are First Outsider, the Recluse from the Trouble Brewing Edition. His ability reads, you might register as evil and as a minion or demon, even if dead. It was up at Mike's the other night. That was really quite a sight. You gather around, folks, I give you all the lowdown. It's a mess, too. All right, everyone, welcome to the podcast. Again, it's another week, it's another episode. And in fact, today it's another official storyteller because today I am joined by Ben last name oh, i really should have learned this uh that's okay uh my last name is dance ben dance oh like, it actually is dance yes okay. it's dance i wasn't like sure if that dance. was just like your discord handle or <laughs> nope no nope. uh, it's uh it's ben dance it's an uncommon last name but it's a very cool one it is uh, all right so today i'm joined by ben dance uh ben i don't know if you know but last week or two weeks ago i guess i was joined by john i uh, heard official storyteller john from from boston or wherever he's from uh, uh whose last name i also didn't know so i guess i just whenever i invite an official storyteller on here i'm not allowed to know their last name Fair that's enough. a rule yeah um, i see that's the case but anyway ben uh thanks for coming on to join me today my absolute pleasure looking forward to this conversation um but before we start talking about the recluse i just want to hear a little bit about you Maybe you could tell me a bit about how you became an official storyteller, if you want to, or just like what your relationship with the game is, all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, I can talk a little bit about that. It's a long story if I was to go into how um, I became an official storyteller, but uh, the shortened version is I really loved this game. I found out about it, and I got um, really heavily involved in the community here in Melbourne, and then I got really heavily involved in the community online on the Discord channel, as well as uh, just trying to uh, keep in contact with the developers over in Sydney, uh, sending them messages, just sort of trying to stay updated with all the latest rules and um, how I be could become more involved and start more of a community here in Melbourne. And um, one thing led to another, and next thing I knew it, I was running games at conventions. And uh, Nice actually meeting them at uh, PAX, which was incredible. But cool. So you're an official storyteller. You know lots about this game. So, you know, if I ever say something wrong, just yell at me. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm sure you'll be fine. I mean, I know a lot about this game and I know a lot about the rules, but I am definitely no rules expert as uh, John was. He knows them inside and out. I just more have like a really in-depth knowledge of the thing, the game. Uh, and I try to stay updated with the rules as much as I can. Cool. Well, that's that's perfect. All we need is for you to have thoughts about the game, and you certainly have that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so we're talking about the recluse, which is the first time I'm talking about an outsider on this podcast. So I thought it would be an interesting time to just have a discussion about outsiders in general a little bit. Yeah, of course. So I personally really think outsiders are an interesting balance aspect of the game. It's uh, it's a cool way to like be able to add more players without really changing the balance of the game in terms of which team is more likely to win. Exactly right, yeah. Yeah, so I, I've always really liked Outsiders from that perspective, from sort of a game design perspective. 
Mm. But I know that they're maybe a little bit controversial as far as like from a player perspective, because not everyone likes having a negative ability for their for their team. Yeah, I uh, I think I see that a lot as well. I see um, a lot of people when they get given an outsider role, they feel like they uh, their comparison is similar to the villager and werewolf. It's a very boring role or it's a very um, uninteresting one where once they're killed off or once they've done their thing, they're not as involved in the game. But um, I really like to try and uh, advertise the outsiders as like a, a bit more of a challenge in the game in which you are mm-hmm. trying to overcome the handicap that uh, you are for your team. And you can do that in so many different ways. And so it's uh, something that I really invite the players to sort of, okay, so you come into this game knowing that you are a hinder, a somewhat of a hindrance or handicap to your team. But how can I overcome that? What can I do in this game to undermine that hindrance to the team and be helpful to my good team? And there's lots of ways that you can do that. And uh, I love to uh, talk to people about that to try and help them. I think that all the different outsiders provide a different sort of challenge. Recluse is in some ways the most straightforward. In other ways, definitely not. Mm -hmm. But I think there's one thing that a lot of people don't really think about with outsiders, which is that the number of outsiders in the game is kind of an essential piece of information for every game of Blood on the Clock Tower. 100%, yeah, definitely. And so being an outsider, it might feel like you don't really have as much information as other people, but you have that one key piece of information. You know who you are, and knowing that you are an outsider is in many ways more important than knowing you're a townsfolk, because whether there's one or two outsiders in the game is... A huge deal whereas whether there's like like when you're just one townsfolk out of so many you don't get nearly as valuable a piece of information from just knowing who you are exactly right um and you know in almost any game of uh trouble brewing when you draw a townsfolk role there's no 100 percent guarantee that you're not drunk whereas right if you are an outsider role you can know for, with certainty that you are not a drunk and that your existence in the game what you bring to the game is not necessarily misleading or throwing your team further into discord and mayhem what you have is what you've got and you can sort of run with that of course as the uh, recluse it is a little bit different in that if anyone checks you but that's not necessarily your information that you're bringing forward yeah and the, the interesting thing about trouble brewing too is that the only way for the outsider count to change is through the Baron. That's right, yeah. And the Baron actually adds two outsiders. So often what I, f- what I find is that in a game, especially with a lot of new players, mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty easy to verify outsiders because if there's going to be extra outsiders in the game, the difference in the number of outsiders is more noticeable than it is in other editions where it might only change by one. Definitely, definitely, yeah. So in Trouble Brewing, just being an outsider often... I find makes you pretty believable because mm. um, there's usually other signs of the number of outsiders in the game. Yeah, especially when you play with... Uh, I play a lot of games with uh, all new people and um, it's a common uh, helpful play for evil players to bluff as an outsider to really throw that sort of spanner in the works and how many outsiders there actually are. Whereas with all new players, not many new players pick up on that a helpful hint on bluffing as an outsider so that makes it really helpful for you to come out as an outsider and say hey look i'm an outsider and if anybody else comes out or nobody else comes out 
that gives you some indication of whether there is or isn't a Baron in the game. Yep. And so, like, say you're playing a one outsider game and you are an outsider, um, or a game, I should say, a game that would normally have one outsider if Mm -hmm. it weren't modified by Baron, and you are the recluse, and you come out as that, and if no one else comes out as an outsider, then, hey, you know for sure that no one else is drunk. Now, other people don't necessarily know that because they they have to then believe you. But you at least know for sure that every everybody else is the townsfolk they think they are. Exactly right. Um, and depending on how many evil players there are, you can sort of almost deduct in your head, you know, if four people are giving me information that all leads down the same path, at max maybe two or three or even four people in, in, in its entirety uh, could be giving me wrong information, but no more than four or no more than three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so just being the recluse allows you to make deductions that other players can't make as easily if they don't have the certainty that you aren't lying. Exactly right. And it's it's almost like a, a trap that you can fall into as the townsfolk, where you fall into that trap of, oh, I could be poisoned or I could be drunk, uh, and therefore I can't believe anything with certainty. But as the mm-hmm. recluse, you don't have that um, trap that you could even fall into. You have a lot more reliability in the knowledge of in the knowledge and information that other people give you if they're willing to do so <laughs> yeah of course that changes a little bit um you know as the meta gets more advanced and as players start bluffing as outsiders more uh that can kind of take away from that advantage but uh, I, I think that especially in a, like a game with new players like if you're playing a more advanced game like that you probably have a good idea already of other things you can do as a recluse that are interesting which we are going to talk about, I think, a lot more in this episode. Yeah, of course. But I just wanted to start off by mentioning that kind of basic thing where if you're in a game where players aren't bluffing outsiders that often, you can get a lot of useful information out of being a recluse. Yeah, it's just overcoming, again, that handicap of, I'm an outsider, so unfortunately I don't bring anything super useful <laughs> to the team. Please trust me. Um, so let's talk about, like, in, I mean, in just a general game. Say you're playing with some more advanced players, um... What is sort of your overall strategy at the start of a game going into it as a recluse, do you think? Uh, for me or for other players that I see? Well, I, I'd like to hear whatever you, whatever you have to offer. <laughs> uh, uh, for me, when I play a game as the recluse, uh, or as any outsider really, I sort of think about playing it in two ways. I think about it playing either a public game where I reveal to everyone right off the bat that I am an outsider and what outsider I am and sort of being out there honest and open with everything that I do and I'm not really deceiving anybody but I'm more so just putting my hands on the table and letting good team know that I'm an option here that I'm willing to help as much as I can or I play a more tricky stealthy deceptive game in which I might try and bluff as something else to try and get killed off by the demon and how I go about that um that's a lot more intricate and complicated but normally when i play an outsider i try and gauge the room and figure out how easily or how likely i am to be able to pull off either one of those strategies and have that strategy be most helpful for my team all right so let's talk about the first strategy um which is in many ways the simpler one Oh, and I, I should say, I agree, by the way, fully, that those are kind of the two main options you have playing as an outsider in general in Trouble Brewing, that you can kind of either just reveal right away or try to get yourself killed. Um, but I think the reveal right away is a lot simpler, because you just say who you are and then just, you know, try to go with it from there. Yeah, I think I think you're right in that it is a lot simpler 
to begin with, but then I think, unfortunately, you have to work a lot harder to try and be helpful for your team because right off the bat, you've put yourself at a disadvantage by explaining to everyone that you are a disadvantage and you're not necessarily someone that can be trusted. So it starts off simple, but then to be really helpful for your team, how you go about that is complex. One thing I've seen a lot is that when someone comes out as a recluse right away, Mm -hmm. a lot of other good players, the reaction is like, oh, okay, let's just execute them so that they don't cause any misinformation for us throughout the rest of the game. Since you can register as evil and all that, it's like, well, if there's if there's ever an empath, we don't want them to get confused by you. If there's, you know, whatever. Definitely. What, what do you think of th- that kind of strategy in general for the team? Like just killing off a recluse to get rid of them with using an execution? I think it's very much dependent on how many players you've got in the game. And also uh, the skill level of the players and the experience level. I think if you're playing in a really big game where you've got a couple of executions where you can... Uh, You don't have to worry about hitting really powerful minions or figuring out whether the demon, uh, which which one of the demons is the real demon. I think you have a little bit more leniency in being able to execute somebody like the Recluse. But in a smaller game, I think that leniency is restricted a lot more because the amount of executions you have is limited or more so limited. Yeah, that's true. Like, the good team's only way of killing the demon, obviously, is through execution. So if there's someone you legitimately believe is the recluse and isn't lying about that, then keeping them alive is, well, that's one more player you don't have to execute. Exactly right, yeah. I, do, I would say that there are other exceptions to that as well, though. Like, if the empath is sitting next to a... Cl- or if the claimed empath is sitting next to a claimed recluse, it could be a good idea to just get the re- uh, get the recluse out of the way to make sure whatever readings the empath gets are good from then on out. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and that can be uh, a really useful way to get information, give out information to the empath. But then often what you'll find yourself doing is uh, falling into a similar sort of trap where is I've already taken these steps so that I believe I am more likely to believe whatever the empath tells me. And if the empath is drunk or if the empath is a minion, You've just got to be very careful about falling into that trap of, well, we've ki- we killed off the recluse so that we could get more information. But we should also keep in mind that we are not ever really 100% sure whether that empath's information is correct or not from the get-go. It's like a sunk cost fallacy, kind of. It's like, well, we already put in all the work to killing off the recluse, so we got to believe the empath. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. That's 100% right, yeah. The other thing to keep in mind with executing the recluse just to like remove the possibilities of misinformation is that you're also creating misinformation possibilities during that execution because like there's the undertaker who's a very important character in trouble brewing often and when you execute the recluse they get no information most likely they're going to see him as an evil player yeah who knows what the uh, storyteller is going to choose to show the undertaker and i think that's a really good point that i don't often see even raised in uh, games you know if there is an undertaker in the game you want those first couple of executions to be almost vital executions. Is the investigator yeah. who's claiming things on somebody, are they actually drunk or are they a minion? Like that could be really helpful for the good team to figure out early on. But if you spend those first executions executing people like the butler or the recluse or even having the virgin execute somebody else randomly, you miss out on those really important opportunities for the undertaker to get some great information yeah exactly 
a lot of people, I think, play Recluse in a similar way to like the first night information characters. But I think that's not necessarily the right way to do it because those first night information characters have more to gain out of playing, like, like out of trying to confirm themselves. Whereas if you confirm yourself as a Recluse, it's still not that helpful. Hmm. Definitely. I think in some ways it's almost more important when you play the game to have an understanding of how the people you're playing with are going to play the characters that they that they might be claiming rather than having a solid and in-depth knowledge of how all the different characters work because you know if you if I know somebody who likes to really stay alive right through to the end of the game and then come out as a top 4 role even though it might be really helpful for me to try and uh, push for the townsfolk or the the group of people we're playing with to execute them so that we can get maybe an undertaker read on that person it might be really difficult for me to push that through because they're the kind of player that wants to stick around to the end regardless of their character yeah uh, and just to clarify for anyone listening who isn't familiar with the terminology of top four character those are the the characters who only gain information on the first night the first four listed on the character sheet that would be the washwoman the librarian the investigator and the chef it was funny i was playing a game today actually where people discovered that the characters were grouped like that on the character sheet. And it was quite a revelation to everyone. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. It's one of those things that you, uh, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of time and thought put into almost all aspects of uh, Love on the Clock Tower. And the more time you spend playing, the more time you start to pick up on those little things. Is there anything else you wanted to say in particular about the like open recluse strategy where you just come out at the start and do what you will? Yeah, I, I do think that, um, I think sometimes newer players miss the opportunity to really get the most out of that strategy. I think that strategy really shines when you are able to do that and then stay heavily invested in the outcome of your teams, whether they win or lose, paying really close attention to who people have conversations with, what they're saying, are they misleading the group? You know, spending that extra amount of time to really allow yourself to, rather than having to focus on information that you're gathering or focus on how you should play your role you've revealed the stuff that you need to reveal you've gotten yourself almost out of the way you've eliminated the outsider from their game and now you can really focus on those aspects of the game i think if you're doing that you're doing it really well i think there's something to be said for just being able to kind of relax and not have to think constantly about maximizing your own ability but rather just like really deeply evaluating everything else you're you're hearing a hundred percent i think that's one of the um I think personally that's one of the most undervalued and uh, overlooked parts of Love and the Clock Tower in the games that I've seen played. That's why I'm never disappointed to get an outsider. It's just like, it's the same game for me pretty much because most of the game is played by evaluating other people's information anyway. Mm, Definitely. What about the other strategy where you keep quiet about being the recluse, maybe try to get yourself killed at night? Yeah, there's lots of different ways that you can choose to play that. But um, a common one that I tend to see is you choose a role that you want to bluff, just like as if you would if you're evil, and then you slowly release that information to different players throughout the circle. And then you pay attention, very close attention, to who they talk to. Do you feel like, right, I talked to Bob and I said to him that I was the fortune teller and then right after I saw Bob run off, rush off to Sally and start telling Sally something very important. And then the next <laughs> night I died, you know, that's a very clear cut example. But often, 
often paying attention to who the people you talk to and what you say to the people is uh, can be really pivotal, pivotal and critical to figuring out who's on your team and who's not or who you can trust and who you can't. There's a lot of characters like that where you kind of want to do that or at least that, where that is an option. And yeah, that's just like a great way to get information about who is what is just by watching people's reactions and like seeing what it takes to get yourself killed. Exactly right. I think also even, you know, sometimes I've played situations where I've claimed multiple things to different people and um, seeing who thinks that's suspicious and who doesn't necessarily think that's suspicious. You know, when Bob says to Sally, oh my God, Ben has actually claimed two different roles. What's his story there? I think we should be executing him. And Sally goes, hmm, no, I think there are bigger targets to execute. I think that's actually somewhat telling that Sally knows that I'm not an important character and I don't need to be worried about because I'm helping her cause as evil in misleading and creating some chaos in the group. Oh, wow. I've never, I have not thought of that at all, actually. So it's really interesting. You're saying that like the people who get less confused, and I guess, I guess it makes perfect sense when I say it the way I'm about to, the people who get less confused are the ones who already know what's going on. Yeah, definitely. When they see other people out there who are not also trying to follow those logical uh, aspects of the game who are talking about things in a, from a standpoint of this, if somebody says this, then that leads to this, then that leads to that. That may mean that this person's evil. Instead, they're focusing on their own game rather than taking all the information in. The people who you should learn to trust and people who they're paying more attention to are following all of the logical steps. Does that make sense? Got a bit caught up in my own words there. Yeah, so the, the, the people who are like spending more time trying to solve the logic of the game are usually the ones who are good, gen- very generally speaking. Yeah. Um, because they're the team where it matters for them to solve the logic of the game, whereas the evil team, they already know what the like what the delineation of the teams is, and they're just trying to maximize like kills and stuff. Yep, you said it really well there, much simpler than I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I think that's definitely something to, to consider, and it's often true. You do have to watch out for kind of like the alpha players, though, who are good at like disassociating themselves from their evil role and like trying to actually logic things out. Mm, definitely. Because like one of the most powerful things to do as an evil character is to make a sound logical argument where the logic in your argument is like perfect. You can totally bend all of the information to point to someone in a way that the other players just cannot find any flaws with. And they'll have to find flaws in other things like your acting's fishy. I don't know. Yeah, no. You've got to, and uh, I think that definitely comes back to the I the thing I was talking about before when it's really important that you know how you know the people who you're playing with and how they play more than the in depth knowledge of all the characters because if you are able to pick up on that uh, Fred over there is exceptionally good at convincing people of uh, things that are make sense and logical even when they don't actually make logical sense. That's mm-hmm. really good to hold on to when listening to whatever he says, because in the back of your mind, you're also thinking, now, how much of this do I really want to believe? <laughs> so when you're the recluse, you're bluffing other things. Um, do you have any kind of like bluffs that you feel are more effective for getting you killed? One of the ones, like one of, I think one of the strongest ones for me is the Undertaker, because the Undertaker 
if it's in the game, it's a role that will always be getting some sort of information throughout the course of the game if they survive. With the fortune teller, they're also getting information, but they run the risk of hitting a recluse or they run the risk of hitting their red herring. With the empath, they get information, but they're hindered by the fact that they can only get information from their neighbors. A lot of the other information gathering roles have sort of a, some sort of limiter to them. Whereas the Undertaker, the only limiter to that is how many people are executed during the day. And for the townsfolk, for, for the good team, to progress the game, to find the demon, they have to execute people throughout the game. So in Trouble Brewing, essentially, you can always be assured that you there will be a couple of executions that happen throughout the game. And so as an Undertaker, it's a really important and powerful role that as the demon, you want to find and kill quickly. Yeah, definitely. I said this in the Undertaker episode of this podcast, but I think that the Undertaker might be just like in general the most powerful role in Trouble Brewing, um, like in a vacuum, mm. which is like that that sort of thing gets balanced out by like if the group thinks they're the most powerful, then all of a sudden they aren't because they're going to be very heavily targeted. Yeah, uh, and how much uh, credit or how much um, how much you believe whatever the person who claims the Undertaker says is dependent on what how much the group or how much what whatever the matter is of the current play play group yeah yeah but I, I think like in a vacuum undertaker is they get very specific information that can be very helpful mm, so definitely. the evil team usually will want to take them out yeah um but i do like to claim also the empath you know it helps to it helps when trying to convince people that you're on the good team if you can turn to the two people who are next to you and say hey I know that they're good, and so therefore you're um, building trust, and it's more likely that you're actually going to have two good people next to you than having an evil person or even two evil people next to you. So the odds are in your favor there, but um, the downside to that, of course, is that if you ever hit hit an evil person sitting next to you and you say, I know you're good because uh, I got a zero reading, they'll uh, be very, very quick to know that you are bluffing and they might actually tell their uh, demon not to kill you because you are drunk but even then you can get information from that and paying attention to who they talk to so it's i've actually uh that reminds me this is kind of going off the topic of recluse but i've done a similar thing to that in a game uh where instead of saying i got a zero i said i got a one as an empath i wasn't actually the empath i was like yeah but i got a one so one of my neighbors is evil and when i did that i got one of my neighbors executed Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm And I was just like, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to play this off and we're going to do that. And then I got killed in the night. And what that made me realize was that, in fact, one of my neighbors was evil at the start. Oh, wow. Because otherwise the demon would have been like, he's just drunk. <laughs> yeah, of course. So I was like, I gained the empath's ability just by really pretending I was the empath. <laughs> That's really impressive. That's really interesting. I have never thought about that or even seen it in my plays. Yeah, it was kind of like, I, I didn't really, I wasn't like planning to do that or anything. I was just like, I'm going to push this empath bluff and just like really believe in it. And then it kind of gave me that information. Yeah. And that's something that's not limited to whatever character, or, well, almost entirely not limited to whatever character you get out of the box. If you get an outsider, that is a strategy that you could go with and it could pay off for you. Cool. So... What about the downsides, though, of this kind of strategy where you just bluff and try to get yourself killed? Yeah. Because I think there is a pretty big downside to it, which is uh, if you're not upfront about being the recluse, 
that's going to give other people room to misinterpret their own abilities and to waste their own abilities in some cases. So for instance, um, say there's a fortune teller, they're going around checking everyone. If they know you're the recluse, or at least you're claiming the recluse, then there's absolutely no point in checking you because either you're a demon bluffing as the recluse or you're the real recluse. Either way, they're not going to get any information out of checking you. Mm. Um, so if you claim recluse right away, then they know not to waste their ability checking you. Yeah. Whereas if you don't say anything, then they don't know that and they actually have to check you, which can kind of waste a night of information for them. Mm. That's true. But I think also, by the same token, you could be a really powerful role claiming the recluse to, in the hope that you're not killed off uh, by the demon at night. And people choose not to check them because they're like, oh, well, they're claiming the recluse. I'm going to get an evil... There's no point in checking them because they're always going to give me a false positive and people can slide under the radar in that way. So it it goes both ways, but because often the recluse is executed uh, fairly shortly after they come out publicly, um, more often than not, you're right. If you don't come out publicly in the first couple of days, you're doing... You can do your team more hitterance by... Uh, your good team members checking you and getting false reads. I do think that that, um, for me personally, and I think lots of different people have different opinions on this, which is why it's such a hot topic on whether you think, how you think the recluse should be played. I think that can be mitigated to a really large extent based on how and when uh, you reveal to everyone that indeed you are the recluse and that this was the strategy that you took. I also think if you play really, if you tend to play really simple games normally, people are less likely to believe you if you take a more complex route, which is why I tend to like encourage people to try something really different, try something really out there. Even if you make a mistake in that, next time you are bluffing as some, let's say you're the recluse and you're bluffing as the fortune teller to get killed off at night, people are like, actually, he could be legitimately doing that. Like, he maybe is yeah. the recluse because that seems that sounds like something Ben would do. That crazy man who keeps doing weird and wacky things. I hear, I hear you nominate yourself a lot. Is that true? That is true. <laughs> I am fairly well known for self-nominating. I um, <laughs> that's really funny. Yeah, it it's uh, something that I developed very early on when I was playing, where I was like, you know, I've I feel like I've done almost everything that I can possibly do to convince the town that I'm good. And then I was like, but wait, I know that other people have um, a nomination that they could be used to hit an, uh, hit an evil person. I, I would prefer, they probably have more information than I do. So I'd rather them have the hold on to their nomination rather than wasting it on me. And I'll use my only nomination since you don't trust me on myself. And if you want to get me out of the way, you can <laughs> interesting but that's another strategy in itself not particularly related to the recluse so yeah that man i i I keep wanting to go off on these tangents and i'm going to because it's my podcast and i can do what i want that's very Uh, true very (laughs) true um that that reminds me of a strategy i occasionally use and this is going way off the track Mm -hmm. this is i'm talking about gambler now it's not even in this edition Mm -hmm. uh sometimes i gamble on myself as something that i'm not in order to get myself killed at night just to make sure I don't waste an execution the next day. (laughs) Interesting. Really interesting strategy. Definitely not one that I've heard of before, but then again, playing even as a storyteller who plays a lot, I play much more trouble brewing than uh, some of the other editions. So (laughs) my knowledge of different meta strategies or diverse meta strategies in those editions is more limited. 
uh, in one particular game of that that happened some very hilarious stuff happened in that game uh <laughs> but you know that's that's a story for another episode way down the line when we're talking about bad moon rising yes uh, definitely i think in the more advanced sets even more crazy things can happen and more ridiculous nonsense. but uh yeah with with trouble brewing it's kind of like it's emergent ridiculousness like you set up simple conditions and then ridiculous things emerge whereas in the other editions sometimes you just have ridiculous abilities at the start <laughs> yeah uh i say this a lot and i think um uh to a lot of my friends and the people i know but um i think the most interesting stories are stories where there's either a really boring and not very interesting environment that have characters that are really out there crazy and exotic or you've got really boring bland not very interesting characters that are in crazy out there outlandish sort of environments either one of those scenarios creates really interesting aspects and trouble brewing is Mm -hmm. one of the ones where when you start to play you go from learning the game through trouble brewing to as you become more experienced playing with that idea of this is a very simple environment that we're in so we can do really crazy things to make this game so much more interesting and fun and see where that leads us all right so really interesting interaction between the with the recluse where a different character's ability like uses the fact that you can register falsely mm-hmm. but kind of uses it in what can sometimes be a positive way mm-hmm. is being shot by the slayer i think it's like a recurring joke on this podcast now that every single episode the slayer comes up um <laughs> such an interesting and pivotal role that's in the game it really is <laughs> um but yeah so so the slayer has a really cool interaction with the recluse where you can the slayer can shoot the recluse and the recluse dies because they register as a demon. That's right. And it, I think that's um, one of those situations where uh, I definitely know when I'm storytelling. It's not something most players know that can happen because when I'm talking about the Slayer and I'm explaining it to them, I don't always say, and they shoot this person and that person dies. That must mean that that person's either the demon or the recluse. I often just refer <laughs> to the basic of if that person died, they are the demon, and it's most likely that if the game is still going, the demon has transferred to the Scarlet Woman. But yeah, no, definitely as I start to play with more experienced players, or players that have played maybe a couple times, I try to throw out there into the things, the Slayer shot will kill someone if they are not drunk or poisoned, and the person who they've shot has registered as a demon. <laughs> yeah. I think the implications of the word registered in the spy and the recluse abilities, and I guess zombie, but we're not talking about that. Uh, <laughs> the implications of the word registered are really interesting when you start to really explore them like that, uh, just with the sheer number of different things they, they can interact with. Oh, definitely. Definitely. A hundred percent. I think it adds, it's one of those things that adds so much more depth and layers to this game that um, can mean that you play the same game multiple times with the same exact set of characters and each game almost turns out to be different every time Mm -hmm. Uh, um so let's talk about getting shot by the slayer and having it usually kill you we can talk more in the storyteller section section three of this podcast about like what decision you should make when the slayer shoots a recluse um as a storyteller but so let's let's talk about the pros and cons of you know getting shot by the slayer um I think it's a really interesting thing because it confirms the Slayer. 
um, like there's no other way for the Slayer to shoot someone and they die than that they actually are the Slayer. So sometimes it's worth it to just take that shot and allow the Slayer to confirm themselves because sometimes that'll be the key to unlocking a bunch of other information. Sometimes you don't want the Slayer to shoot you because now they've used their shot and they can't use it on the real demon. That's that's true. I um I think often in all of the games that I've story told and story told in all of the games that I've seen played out, I similar to a Maya win, it's actually very rare to have a slayer actually hit um the target and actually kill the I demon. used to think that. I used to think that. You used to recently think that? I've had a I've had a run of many slayer shots being successful. Wow, that's really uh, impressive. Yeah, so so in my in my uh, group in San Diego where I've played most of my games, we had like one slayer shot ever in in the entire time we played. Wow. Uh-huh. And then I have a group in Northridge here, and in like the first seven games we played, four of them ended with a slayer shot or something. So wow, that's really yeah, that's definitely an outlier there. But um, yeah, it's very very strange. And I think that's I think. Just as you were talking about, I think that raises the idea that the pros and cons are very dependent on the group that you're playing with again. Like, uh, yeah. do you think, do you see amongst your group that the Slayer shot hits a fair few demons most of the time? And that might factor into whether you decide, I'm actually going to reveal myself and in the hope that the Slayer shoots me because it's so rare that the Slayer actually ever lives to the uh, uh, day in which they actually get the chance to shoot the demon. And, and hit but yeah I've also seen scenarios where the the slayer has outed themselves well not outed themselves but come out to a few specific players and there's overlap there with uh, who they came out to in the same person that the recluse has decided to come out to a few specific players as to who they are and that and those uh, the same person who they've both come out to has said you two should get together and try something out. Like a <laughs> little bit of the matchmaking there, you know, <laughs> let's see what the storyteller does. Let's see if sparks fly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean like worst case scenario there, the slayer will shoot you and nothing will happen, which will be like, Hey, I guess I'm not the demon. <laughs> exactly. Right. And uh best case scenario is you have a confirmed good townsfolk who, you know, with certainty is always working for the good team. Uh, and that can be very powerful. Like it's just like a confirmed version in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, and actually has a similar trade-off, which is like the virgin causes a good player to die in order to confirm themselves. And same thing with the slayer. Slayer causes a good player to die in order to confirm themselves in this case. Yeah, but I would say it's almost more valuable because often uh, your the amount of executions you have is a limited resource in the game for townsfolk. Mm-hmm. And if you kill off a player while still maintaining that uh, execution that you have during the day, which is like what would happen if you if you use your Slayer shot and you killed the recluse, you can still have an execution that day because it doesn't actually count as an execution. Yeah, and also you're taking out a recluse rather than a potentially valuable townsfolk. Exactly right. Or potentially more valuable, I should say, because recluse is still valuable. Yeah, in its own way. I think for me, if I was playing the Slayer, or if I was the Recluse, I'd always want to try and be shot by the Slayer. But that's has a lot to do with the kind of groups that I've played with and the kind of player that I am. I want to do it, everything that I can to help my team, even if that means self-nominating or having myself killed off by the Slayer. 
Yeah, I think that as a general rule, most of the time it's going to be more helpful for you if the Slayer shoots the Recluse and confirms themselves than if the Slayer uses their ability as like a guess on someone else. But it all comes down to who has been talking to that Slayer. Maybe the Slayer has had no information, or maybe the Slayer's got really good information from people like the Empath or the Fortune Teller. The game state changes yeah. completely depending from one game to the next. This is just kind of an interesting topic, I think, um, which is like confirmable characters. Mm. So we've discussed how the Virgin can be confirmed as who they say they are and definitely good, and the uh, Slayer can be confirmed how definitely good. But interestingly, as the Recluse, working with the Slayer, you can confirm yourself as definitely the Recluse. Because if you're if there are four players alive, and it's you, the Slayer, and two others... An amazing move is for the Slayer to shoot you right there. Because if you die from that, it confirms them as the Slayer. So you've, you've got a confirmed player in the final three, which is already great. It also confirms you as Recluse, because the Scarlet Woman ability wouldn't work with only four players alive. So you simultaneously confirm two players, one of whom is still alive. And that's just like, that's a huge benefit to the good team at that point. Yeah, definitely. I think that's... um. That's a really interesting uh, scenario that I'd never even thought of. But I I wonder whether the trade-off would be worth it. Who is able to nominate in the last couple of days is, again, a finite resource. In a game where the last final three people are alive and there's only one good person, if that one good person uses their only nomination incorrectly, the game's pretty much over for the good team. Well, we're talking about a Slayer shot here. Definitely. So like you said earlier, not a nomination. That's not a nomination, you're right. But if... In the instance that you're talking about, the Slayer does shoot the Recluse and the Recluse dies. That good player doesn't have the opportunity to nominate. So you're... Ah, uh, the Recluse. You as the Recluse don't have the ability. I see. Yeah, it's a it's that trade-off there of, is it... I wonder... I've never seen that situation or even thought about that situation. I, th- I th- And I wonder... I think obviously it's a pretty rare situation. <laughs> it is, but it's uh, something really interesting to think about. Yeah, I, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, but I, I mean, I, I feel like if... The Slayer can confirm themselves, and you have a confirmed good player in the final three. Mm. Then all of the rest of the players can help them to make the best choice as to who to nominate. I think, yeah, that's obviously um, the best case scenario. What I always hope for when I'm playing on the good team, anyway, when I can, if uh, I think there's a mayor in the game, or I think it's a game that's going to get down to the final three people, I really want uh, whoever's alive on the good team to be really paying attention to what everybody else in the group is saying and. Uh, Trying to really yeah. take on board everything everything that is being put out there and the information that's thrown out. Definitely tricky. Wow. Have you ever seen any situations like that? I have seen the Slayer shoot the Recluse, but never in such like a... High stakes. It's, it's never, it has never confirmed the Recluse, right? Like it's always been a case where it could be a Scarlet Woman. Mm. Uh, I've never seen it in a Final Four like that, but... I've thought about it a lot because <laughs> I just think it's super interesting. Yeah, definitely. Hmm, something I'll have to think about more. Yeah, I, I, the whole topic of confirmable characters is something that fascinates me in this game. A little while ago on the Discord, I, cr- I created a huge discussion about it. Turns out there's like seven characters who you can confirm that they are one specific person. Oh, wow. Okay, interesting. A few of those are easy to do. Most of them require some ridiculous setups. And I'm talking about across all of the three editions, that not not just Trouble Brewing. But then in, ad- in addition to that, there's like, tw- like I don't know, like 15 characters or something, or 20 characters that 
you can confirm their existence in the game, even if you can't f- confirm exactly who they are. Mm, um, yeah, that... It's a topic that I've thought about a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely something that's really interesting to think about and also really helpful to think about when you're playing in the game. You know, How does that influence the way you want to play? How does that influence the way other people are playing? And how can you use that information to help your team? <laughs> All right. So we've talked about how the recluse interacts with a few different characters uh, and how it interacts positively with the Slayer. There's a couple of other characters where I think you've got some beneficial interactions. One of those is the chef, where if the chef gets a high number for the number of evil pairs in the game, you might want to start suspecting your neighbors because you could register as evil. And I think a lot of storytellers, uh, when they see an evil player next to the next to the recluse, they just can't resist the opportunity to give the chef a high number. Mm. Uh, yeah, that I think that's a common uh, thing as well in the games that I see. Yeah, I think it's very common for the chef to give out a high number and then for people to use the recluse as like an anchor point for like, okay, well, let's start checking if their neighbors are evil. I think that's definitely true that uh, if the chef gives out a high number, the recluse is used to uh, as an anchor point for where we can find demons or where we can find minions. But um, that can also be very uh, thrown into chaos when uh, obviously an outsider not an outsider, or even yeah, maybe a different outsider is claiming the recluse, or a minion is claiming the recluse, or one of the good players is claiming the recluse. Yeah, or an evil player is claiming chef, and then they all they have to do is say a high number to start making people want to execute your neighbors. Exactly right. Who could very well be good. Yeah. One last uh, interesting interaction is investigator, because mm-hmm. investigator can see you as a minion at the start of the game, mm. and I think that if an investigator before you say you're the recluse, if they claim that they saw you and one other person as a particular minion, I think a lot of the time that tells me that I can trust this player, this investigator player. Because if they're an evil player, they wouldn't know to specifically choose you to call out as the recluse. So if they, if they are calling you out as a minion, it's like, okay, well, they just saw my ability in action, and that makes means that I can trust this investigator. It doesn't give you that much information about the rest of the game state, but... It's got. I think it's. Yeah, it gives you that one person that you can trust and move forward from there. Yeah. Which in this game is often uh, a really way, a really good way to play it. It's the way that I like to play it. I like to play and find one person that I can trust, and then sort of co-op our way through the game. And how can we figure out the uh, way through the uh, chaos that's the evil team is spreading out there and work <laughs> through the nonsense? Of course, they could also be a spy. Spy kind of throws out a lot of this stuff. Like if. You're not going to be able to confuse the evil team very much if there's a spy in the game. Um, but that's just something you always have to be aware of. Yeah, I, and I think even given that, I think it you could have a spy in the game, but people aren't, aren't having private conversations very much. Then you've still got that opportunity to still confuse evil because the spy hasn't been able to relay that information back to their demon or even their other teammates. Uh, do you have anything else you want to say about playing as the recluse before we move on to our second section here? Nothing that we haven't really already glossed over. Just touching back on the point of definitely try and uh, approach playing the recluse as like a little bit of a challenge that you can try new things, focus on honing those skills at paying attention to what other people are doing and listening to the information that other people are putting out into the circle. Those sort of skills, the social skills that you build when you play this game. (laughs) All right. Uh, So we'll move on now to section two, which is bluffing as the recluse when you are not the recluse. Something that I feel like there is. Okay. Go ahead. No, I was going to say that's something that I haven't thought about a lot, to be honest. I think often 
or even seen uh, done much, but I think it's something that's really interesting to talk about and consider. Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting because Recluse is in many ways kind of the obvious bluff for an evil character, mm. right? Like anytime someone calls you out about it, you're just like, well, yeah, I'm the Recluse. Of course you saw me as evil. So in many ways, it's the obvious evil bluff. But then, of course, because it's the obvious evil bluff, a lot of people are like, well, it would be too obvious if I did that. Uh, yeah. So it doesn't come up that often. That makes sense. I think uh, one of the situations that I was thinking about where I thought it would be really interesting and um, powerful to play is a situation where you have an outsider, not necessarily the recluse, but you might have a good player who is a really powerful role that might want to live for as long as they can and they confide in you or they come over to you and you, they say, what role are you? And you decide for whatever reason to tell them that you're the recluse they could decide to bluff as the librarian saying that they saw you as an outsider role confirming you as an outsider which is good you don't necessarily have to say which outsider and then also confirming them as a good role because they've verified somebody else and i use the term confirming very loosely there because of course there's many things that can go wrong there (laughs) but if you're somebody like the undertaker or the fortune teller or even the empath doing something like that could give you uh just a couple of extra nights to live yeah like Typically, when, you, when you're when you a good player and you're bluffing as the recluse, I think most of the time the demon's not going to want to kill you unless, of course, they suspect that you're doing that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, at the same time, though, by bluffing as an outsider, it can confuse the outsider count of the game. Yeah. Uh, which is never, never a very good thing for the good team when they're trying to sort all that stuff out and figure out if there's a drunk and all that. I think one of the interesting things uh, that I've done in the past, and I don't know whether it's the most smart move or the most helpful move for my team but often when i um do a bluff that could be not helpful to the good team or or do something or spread some information that i feel is could be detrimental if people entirely believe that logic is i talk to lots of different people throughout the course of the game put that information out there but then make sure that people are very aware of that caveat that that information might not be true. So I might say two different people come out as outsiders, but I've heard from somebody else that one of the outsiders might not actually be an outsider. They might be bluffing. Mm. Um, And that even whilst it's something that most experienced players already know, it at least puts it in the mind of people of maybe this is somebody that we can trust. Maybe killing executing off the recluse is a poor move and maybe and it puts it in the mind of the demon of maybe this person who's claimed the recluse who i thought is somebody that i don't have to worry about killing is a more interesting or powerful person to kill yeah so sort of like um i guess the i guess uh tell me if this is a correct summary of what you're saying so like you claim the recluse and then kind of say i've heard that one of the outsiders is bluffing yeah essentially so it's like, obviously, you haven't actually heard that. You just know that because it's you. Uh, <laughs> exactly right. But it casts some sort of um, doubt in the minds of people who, who are there where there should be doubt because you know that there's, yeah. uh, you know your bluff, you know your misdirection. One other interesting aspect of bluffing as a recluse, I think, is that if there actually is a recluse in the game, and as soon as you say you're the recluse, if they like call you out about it, I think that gives you a really good sign, especially if the meta of your group is to like execute the recluse. I think that if if there's someone else who calls you out on it and is like, hey, I'm the real recluse, you're not the recluse, 
I think that's a really good sign that that person is not the demon. Yeah, definitely. Because most of the time, if they're the demon, they're just going to be happy. Like, oh, yeah, you're claiming recluse. Let's sweet. I can use this to get get you executed. Exactly right. You know, often um, one really interesting thing, which I think the, the next layer to that is if you're an evil player and you're claiming a powerful role as to if you're bluffing a powerful role, if somebody else double claims you, you really want for them to be executed because mm-hmm. uh, because there's that back and forth of, well, one of us is clearly evil and one of us is spreading out the wrong information. Whereas that's not necessarily always the case if two people are claiming the recluse because they both could be good and you almost confirm one of them. Yeah, I think that's something that I haven't thought about and maybe something that I should try out in some of my next games coming up. It can, that, that strategy can kind of be generalized, right? Where like you double claim something just to see who calls you out on it. And then if someone does call you out on it, you can trust them a little bit more. Mm, definitely. Um, but I, you've got to definitely be careful in the sense that you don't want to have to out somebody who doesn't want to be outed like the fortune teller or the empath. Yeah, so it's, so it's safer to do it with like a recluse or something. Yeah, definitely a lot safer, which is a really interesting strategy that I'm looking forward to see more in my games. Uh, so let's talk about evil players bluffing as the recluse. Uh, like I said earlier, it seems like it's an obviously good bluff because it's like there's no way to prove you're not the recluse. And I think that it actually, there is one particular situation where it is like a really good bluff, which is if you're the demon and there is a scarlet woman. Because then, even if you get executed, it doesn't matter that much. And if something like the Slayer targets you and it kills you, yeah, it, it doesn't matter. You've got a Scarlet Woman and it'll really make you seem like the recluse. Like, you can play a really realistic recluse if you have a Scarlet Woman backing you up. Yeah, that's uh, really true. You can even also, um, if you know that there's a fortune teller in the game, you can set your Scarlet Woman up for a really easy uh easy run through to the end of the game if you know that that fortune teller has already checked the scarlet woman mm-hmm. bluffing is oh actually guys i'm the recluse i've been trying to survive as long as i can this is just the white strategy that i've been playing um i'm happy for you guys to execute me today you get executed it transfers to the scarlet woman who's already been semi-confirmed by the fortune teller and bim dada boom everything's great yeah. <laughs> so so I would say that a lot of the time, uh, Recluse is a bad demon bluff just because people are likely to kill you without really caring about mm, it. Mm. But if you have a Scarlet Woman, it becomes a very good bluff. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a really interesting idea. And um, something I'm interested to see more of as well. I think that I'd like to see uh, people uh, bluffing as uh, the Recluse and seeing not necessarily just thinking about that night-to-night ripple-out effects, but also the future consequences of if I'm executed, what will happen because people believe that I am actually the recluse. On a related note, a time where it's very bad, probably, to bluff as the recluse when you're evil is when you're seated next to another evil player. Mm. Um, And this is touching on the same thing we were just talking about with the chef, which is if you come out as the recluse, people are probably going to start killing your neighbors if they believe the chef. So... Even though you're not actually the recluse, the chef would still get a pair if you are next to another evil player. So that could just be a bad idea to come out as the recluse, and it might give people a good reason to start killing your neighbors, who, if they happen to be evil, is just not a good thing. That's true. Uh, By the same token, of course, though, if you are sitting next to your uh, evil friend, who's your neighbor, if you have the opportunity to quietly say to them, 
bluff as the uh, chef and give a reading of zero, and then I'll claim the outsider. Oh, interesting. It could work in the opposite direction in that you've now sort of given uh, some sort of uh, credit or some sort of validity to the two people you're sitting next to because you're the recluse potentially registering as evil, but you haven't gotten a one or a two. The sh- or the, sh- the claimed chef hasn't got a one or a two. Yeah, that's really cool. It's There's definitely a lot of uh, counterways in which uh, these different strategies can be played. In just depends on the meta and the group of the people playing, I suppose you could say. So section three, the really interesting thing, I think, with the recluse, uh, you wouldn't know it by the fact that we've already talked over an hour about other stuff about the recluse. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but section three... Running the recluse as the storyteller. This is where a lot of the decision-making happens with the recluse. Yes. So before we get into this, I want to bring up this topic of things that are technically possible but should probably not be done. That's uh, true. And very- John and I kind of talked about some of this on the last episode with the Scarlet Woman. But there's a little bit more to talk about with the recluse. So I just want to go over, go over that quickly. Yeah, of course. Give a little refresh. Uh, no, re- um, so Scarlet Woman picking up on a recluse death. So the idea here is that the recluse dies, they register as the demon while they're dying, and that allows the Scarlet Woman to become the demon, and now all of a sudden you have two living imps, and that's just a very bad situation, very yep. unbalanced. Very bad situation, not fun for anyone. Yeah, so while you could technically do that within the rules, it would be a very bad idea to do that, and you should not. The other one that you probably shouldn't do is having the recluse pick up an imp pass, so when the imp kills themselves at night, it causes a min- it can cause a minion to become the imp. Uh, if the recluse registers as a minion, they can become the imp. Uh, again, probably shouldn't do that because now you have a good demon who can just kill themselves and win instantly. Yeah, definitely not one of those situations that are one of those situations similar to the one you just mentioned, where just because it can happen doesn't mean that it should happen. Even if you, as the storyteller, think it's hilarious and everyone would find it really funny and go, "What? That's crazy that that happened." Often it's not going to be good for the game. Yeah, it's not <laughs> going to be good for the game. And I definitely think when I'm storytelling, I really try to pay attention to how uh, I try to pay attention to how my decisions as the storyteller will impact everyone, not just the people that it's going to directly impact them. Mm-hmm. You know, if I redirect a mayor, if evil are winning by a huge margin, and the demon targets the mayor, and I redirect the kill to one of the minions. That will be great for the good townsfolk team, but that minion who was killed off by the mayor shot might feel a bit cheated out and might feel a bit unhappy about the fact that you killed them off when they still had plans for the rest of that game. Uh, there's one last thing with the recluse, and this is technically possible possible by the current the current wording of the rules. This might change by the time this game is officially released. So I'm just going to, you know, with all those caveats here, this is the one situation, though, where I feel like it's maybe okay to have this weird thing happen in a game with advanced players in very specific situations, which is when the imp kills themselves, it is possible for the recluse to become the imp, like we just talked about, but also for the Scarlet Woman to become the imp because the Scarlet Woman's ability triggers independently of the imp's ability. This would leave you with two living demons, one of them evil and one of them good, which is slightly less broken than a situation with either exclusively one good demon or two evil demons. Definitely, yeah. So one good 
one good, one evil, slightly less broken. Still kind of broken, so, you know, be careful. Make sure it's very advanced players if you ever do this. Uh, I have never done this. I don't think it's... I think it's almost never a good idea to do this in Trouble Brewing, but it's a little less broken than the other ones. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of... I think I think the only times in which you'd want to do that is when you feel like people have played Trouble Brewing enough to the point where they are happily playing any of the other editions and really enjoying the other editions as well. But they might be playing Trouble Brewing just to go back to the basic set for... Uh, something easier something more simple and they all know how they're all very aware of how all the rules work inside and out and then you can throw that little crazy and you hit them with this (laughs) and they realize everything they know is wrong because once you do that for them then it opens the floor for somebody to be able to bluff that that happened you know somebody can come out and say (laughs) that's crazy oh my gosh i'm the actual recluse but i just transformed into the demon blah 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 (laughs) and you can go really crazy with some of the things that you're bluffing as because it's possible but not necessarily should be done but because you're all experienced and because you're all on board with that being okay to happen things can be even more wild and you take trouble brewing to another level that that's almost like if you're almost i don't know playing like a game where everyone's like okay with it being silly mm. then i feel like you can do those things but that's kind of a discussion you should have before the game yeah a uh, similar sort of thing with uh Roll lifting. I don't know if you've ever talked about that before on the podcasts previously. I haven't. Um, uh, and, but it, and I don't know if everyone's going to know that term. No, no, so. I was, uh, yeah, definitely explain it. But it's the idea that you uh, choose uh, what you specifically choose which roles are going to be in the game, but you also go that step further and choose who is going to be what role in that game. So rather than the typical you're pulling roles out of a bag, people are handed out their roles as you go around the circle. It's can create a more uh, specific game in which people uh, there's a very specific set of characters and a very the storyteller is very in control of who's sitting next to who and why and where but mm-hmm. you've also got to be very careful that you're doing so in an environment where everyone knows that that's going to happen and is okay with it because it can lead to situations where some people feel cheated in the sense that they got a role that they really dislike or they got a they got uh set up in a way that they couldn't really get out of an awful situation yeah like if you set it up you can give the chef like a five (laughs) yeah probably not a there's a lot of information in that five (laughs) exactly right but again if everyone's okay with it that's something really interesting that you can do the storyteller says are we okay with having your roles given out to you everyone says yes and then as an evil player you come out right from the get-go saying i'm the chef and i just got a five (laughs) <laughs> yeah or or you give the drunk chef a five and actually just set up like a really normal game exactly right but these are all sort of things that should be done in situations where everyone's on board with it and everyone's aware that these are the sort of things that can happen and they're okay with it uh, so let's talk about the recluse you were the one who told me you wanted to talk about the recluse um and i think this was why most of the storyteller stuff right yeah i think for me one of the biggest reasons I love having the recluse in the game is because of what you can do as a storyteller, because of all of the different decisions and how similar to the drunk um, outsider, you can really influence the game and um, change the way that the game flows based on the information you give in how the recluse is registering. I think that that's um, I think that that's really important and really uh, something that 
storytellers should take a lot of time and care in thinking about how they make those decisions. Uh, so go ahead and walk me through it. Like what, what are all, what are some situations that you've seen arise? What are hypothetical situations? Um, what's, what's your general strategy around this? Uh, all right. Well, um, let's start with some of the things that we've already talked about in this game. So situations where, you know, there's a recluse sitting next to two evil players and there's a chef in the game. I think you really want to think about if you're going to give that chef the number three, how likely are they to come out on the first day as a top four character? How likely is the group going to push for everyone to come out who is a top four character? And is that group going to trust the chef's information or not trust this information? Um, maybe just putting, saying that there's no pairs in a game or a situation like that can be really advantageous, advantageous to the good team because you're playing a more normal game with an outsiders. You're not relying on everyone focusing on this pivotal piece of information that all of a sudden there are two pairs of evil people sitting next to each other and there is a recluse sitting there going, well, somebody on my left and right is probably evil. <laughs> yeah. Um, similar sort of thing with the empath. If the empath is sitting next to a recluse and an evil player, showing that empath too right off the bat can be a really quick way to make the game much less fun for that minion on the other side who goes, sweet, I'm the poisoner. I'm going to get to have lots of fun in doing all of these weird and wacky things and making people's information fly out the window and then they're killed off because the empath got it too. I think that that's... Often I find that that's a really sad thing for players who don't have the opportunity to get evil many, many times and when they do get to play evil, the recluse registering as evil can really sort of pull out pull the rug out from in, underneath them yeah i think um it's kind of the case of like with ga- in terms of game balance the outsider is meant to be like a negative for the good team obviously the way you play it can turn it into a net positive and since you are a good player that's what you're trying to do mm-hmm. but i think the default should be that the recluse doesn't shouldn't usually give a big clue to the good team yeah exactly right so in a situation where you have like empath with recluse and a minion on either side maybe showing them a one at first and then if that minion does get executed still show them a one yeah that 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 can be way more detrimental to the good team yeah 100 percent. i think that's really true another really interesting thing that can happen is that uh you can make the recluse like if the for- someone like the fortune teller picks them, you can make the fortune teller believe that that is their red herring or even mm-hmm. put the red herring on the recluse and then they thinking that maybe they're drunk because they haven't hit many yeses throughout the course of the game. Something that can be done that I don't see, I don't find myself doing very often, maybe I should after this podcast in case any of my regular players are listening, <laughs> but I find one of the things that you can do is make the investigator see the minion as the recluse i think that that's really interesting and powerful and i think um Hmm. when you say that you mean like the yeah show uh the investigator give me an example yeah so the investigator wakes up and they see the scarlet woman between fred who's actually the fortune teller and bob who's the recluse the investigator is not actually finding a minion but they're finding recluse i think that that can be really a really useful tool to help the good team or evil team depending on 
uh, the sort of situation that uh, the game, the sort of, I guess what I'm trying to say is the starting situation of the game. So if you look at the setup and you go, oof, this is not good because the empath is actually sitting next to two evil players. Maybe it might be useful to take away that investigator's really powerful ability of being able to find a minion and just throwing it onto the recluse instead. Yeah, or how about showing the investigator completely true information, show them the real minion, show them what that minion is, and show them the recluse as their other options, that when the recluse comes out, the investigator is going to think that that was what made them see that, not the fact that they actually saw the real minion. Exactly right, yeah. Definitely something that can happen. That um, I think because as somebody who storytells a lot, I tend not to show the investigator the recluse as a minion. So I think that that's one of the things that I haven't thought about doing as much, but still very viable and a really interesting way to uh, give uh, the, the evil minion an out in a way. What other ways can we... Can the recluse uh, trigger the Undertaker? Of course, who you choose to show the Undertaker as is really interesting, and I think you can work well with the evil team to create even more mayhem and chaos in the game when the good team might be well on their way to finding the demon, and the evil team need to be thrown a bone. Maybe throwing out when the recluse is executed, a spy in the game really throws a wrench of well, if there's a spy in the game. Things have seemed far too easy. Maybe yeah. one of the people that is making this too easy has actually been a spy and everything's going according to plan for the evil team. Or how about showing that um, the imp was killed? So it's like, okay, well, that means the minion must be the Scarlet Woman. Yeah, definitely. And that means the bear, there's no Baron, which means this outsider's lying, this other outsider's lying, or something like that. Yeah, or even a smaller game where there's only one other minion, and you show the imp is already being killed off, there can't be a poisoner, therefore all yeah. of our information <laughs> is correct. When in reality, yeah. I don't know if it is. But often these things should be, if you're playing as the recluse, often these things should be taken with a grain of salt at all times, because... Often the recluse will come out and say, hey guys, but I actually am the recluse. Like, I could just be registering <laughs> yeah. as evil. Yeah. I try to, if if there's a new player who's playing as the recluse and there's one of those situations, I try to give them a heads up in a private chat about that's something that they can talk about with their team to help overcome that handicap for them. Yeah, so the recluse basically interacts with anything that detects uh, alignment. It also interacts with the librarian who just sees outsiders. Mm. And I think that can be an interesting thing where if if you always have a recluse getting killed off in the game, just like as soon as they come out, everyone just wants to execute them. Putting in a librarian who sees them as a recluse can really help with that and help that player survive. Yeah, um, help change the meta. Yeah. So it's like, sure, we could kill this person off, but we're really certain that they're the recluse because we have this librarian confirming them as such. Another thing you can do with Librarian is show them that there are no outsiders in the game when there's a recluse in the game, <laughs> uh, because you can have the recluse register as a minion or whatever at that moment when the librarian checks. That's true. Which is also an interesting way to confirm the recluse. Say it's a game that's supposed to have one outsider, and you showed the librarian there are no outsiders. Well, the only possible way for that to happen is either the librarian's drunk or there is a recluse in the game. Yeah, definitely very true. I mean... Or the librarian was poisoned. Good point. Good point. <laughs> There's so many different. Caveats. But yeah, that can be a 
<laughs> that can be an interesting way to kind of soft confirm the recluse. Yeah, definitely. Soft confirm. Like if someone if someone comes out as recluse before the librarian says, I got a zero, then that's a <laughs> that's a decent sign. Yeah, definitely true. Uh, and of course, Slayer goes well with recluse. Yeah. We already talked about that a bunch. They uh, can really be a decisive factor of a confirmable role. Aside from that, I, I don't know if there's too much more that I can say off the top of my head about the recluse. Yeah, I mean, I think we talked a lot about uh, this kind of stuff in the earlier sections of the podcast. We covered a lot in the how to play as the recluse, because a lot of playing as the recluse is understanding what the storyteller can do with you. Exactly right. And I do, I um, for any new players out there who are still trying to learn the game and understand the game, I do really encourage you as a player, if you get given the recluse, asking the storyteller what they might do or like what they feel like they might do uh, if there's a recluse in the game they might not say they might not mm-hmm. tell you or they might not say anything at all but asking them what um they think is possible for the recluse to be shown or how the recluse can work is a really good way in figuring out how they might think that the game is going to play out based on you being in the game as the recluse all right well thanks for talking to me ben no problem thanks for the chatting it's nice nice to finally get the opportunity to talk to you about more blood on the clock tower stuff <laughs> yeah uh, i hope we get more opportunities to talk about it in, in the future yeah uh someday i'll try to play a game with you i need to just like go on a world tour of travel of playing in real life games with with all the blood on the clock tower people i know <laughs> look i think what the obvious solution here is we both go on a world tour where we both travel to all different worlds and all different places all over the world playing blood on the clock tower and eventually we meet up having many different stories and uh, <laughs> play each other i thought you were going to say that when, when i go to melbourne you go to like san diego or whatever oh oh no so, like we miss each other at the one the one time <laughs> oh no i definitely not but you know if when you are coming to Melbourne, you feel like there's an extra bit of spare room in your suitcase for me to come with you on your traveling of the world of Blood on the Cocktail. Feel free to just chuck me in. You're going to just stay in my suitcase. Look, uh, I love the Blood on the Cocktail enough to do many different things for it. So <laughs> staying in the suitcase is easy compared to some of the other things. <laughs> All right. Someday I'll have to hear about the other uh, extreme things you've done for your love of Clock Tower. Uh, my poor voice <laughs> that's all i'll say my poor voice <laughs> all right uh thanks for talking to me um and thank you everyone at home for listening definitely talk to you in another couple weeks with another guest talk to you then bye bye, bye.